Well, today we're going, to, we're going to observe something that has been occurring for thousands and thousands of years. Of course, we've already been doing some of that. But this is a special time in the church. It goes all the way back to the very beginnings of the Old Testament when Hannah brought her son Samuel to Eli, the chief priest, to dedicate him to the Lord. She had promised that if God would give her a son, that she would return that son to God for his service. Now, many years later, we still have parents doing the same thing. We have parents recognizing that the children God has given them are really God's children. And God has entrusted those parents to raise his children in the nurture and admonition today of Jesus Christ. And we have just such parents coming today to present their son to the Lord. I introduce to you Damien and Olivine bring before the Lord O'Brien Jacob Scarlett. You all start coming up now. <laughs> O'Brien was born on March 21st, 2017 at Memorial West Hospital. The spiritual connotation of O'Brien is follower of God. Isaiah 48, 17 says, I am the Lord your God who teaches you for your own good, who leads you in the way you should go. Damien and Olivine, come on right over here. Along with those who are your witnesses today of this great event and chapter of your lives. Hi, O'Brien. How are you? Hi, buddy. Isn't he handsome? Now, many people don't understand that the, the purpose of this particular ceremony is not to christen O'Brien. In fact, the ceremony has more to do with Damien and Olivine than O'Brien. Because they are coming now as parents, believers in Jesus Christ, recognizing that God has given O'Brien to them. And they now are declaring publicly before the Lord, these witnesses, and you, the Bridge Church, that it is their intention to bring up O'Brien in the nurture and admonition of Jesus Christ so that one day he will have learned about Jesus and about the Bible and God's plan of salvation, and one day he will be able to decide for himself to receive Jesus Christ as his Savior. So if that is your intention, I ask you to give heed to the questions I'll present to you today. It is your intention to present your child to the Lord and pledge yourself to bring him up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord Jesus Christ? Yes. Do you here this day recognize O'Brien as a gift of God and give heartful thanks for his blessing? Yes, do you here this day dedicate O'Brien to the Lord who gave him to you? Yes, do you here this day to pledge his parents that you will bring up O'Brien in the nurture and admonition of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you promise this day to give this child every possible benefit of home, of school, and of church? Do you promise that you will not only bring O'Brien to church, but that you will model the Lord Jesus Christ in your marriage and in your individual lives? Do you hear this day dedicate O'Brien to the Lord Jesus Christ? Church, we enter into this also. Church, do you agree and covenant with these parents to support the Bridge Church in your service 
and in the giving of your tithes and offerings so that they have an additional resource. If you agree to enter into this covenant between them and the Lord Jesus Christ, will you see, please signify it by saying amen. 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 Father, we thank you for the gift of life. We thank you for O'Brien. Oh, what a handsome baby. We thank you for Damien and Olivine who understand that, that he's your child and you have blessed them with him and that you are entrusting O'Brien to them that they will live a life that models you and that they will teach O'Brien everything they possibly can so that one day when he grows up and reaches the age of personal accountability, that he will himself trust you as his personal savior. God, I pray for your protection on him. And I pray for your protection on this wonderful couple. God, give them wisdom when, when, when raising O'Brien will become challenging. Give them patience when he will try their patience. Lord, allow your presence to be felt in a very near and abiding way every day. We dedicate this family, these parents to you, and this child also to your honor and glory. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Here's a couple little momentums of the day so that you can remember these and one day O'Brien can remember this special day. Church, let's once again show them our unending support. We love you. God bless you. We know God will, and he already has. Thank you all. You can go ahead to your seats. I love doing that. That's one of the joys of being a pastor is being able to celebrate these celebrations in the lives of people that are part of the Bridge family. Today I want to get back to our summer study that we're calling Kids Stuff for Adults. This is actually the third summer that we've gone back to this study because you have requested. It's been popular to you. If you're a guest, what, Bridge, what, what Kids Stuff for Adults is all about is we are taking some of the great Bible stories that we teach to our children when they go to discovery classes, Sunday school, to Adventure Zone, Junior Church, and we, we take these lessons that we teach them that we often never revisit as, as adults, and we are revisiting them again and looking at them from an adult perspective, from an adult spiritual maturity level. We've covered a lot, and we're in the Old Testament, and we're going to pick up a lesson that I started two weeks ago that we're calling Raiders of the Lost Ark. How many saw the movies, Raiders of the Lost Ark? Yeah, a lot of you have. It was exciting. It was really good. People are still fascinated about the Lost Ark, by the way. I just watched a program on TV yesterday about the Lost Ark. Is it in Ethiopia? Is it buried under the, the Temple Mount in Jerusalem? We're still looking for the Lost Ark. But this is the real story. And the original part of the story occurred during a time in the life of Israel that was a very troubling time. The book of Judges, in the very last verse of the book of Judges, describes it to us. It says, in those days Israel had no king, everyone did as he saw fit. In other words, there was absolute chaos in the land. Everyone was just doing whatever they wanted to do. And this went on for about six to eight hundred years what would happen, is, as I explained to you before, is that, is that Israel would rebel against God and they'd start serving and worshiping the foreign gods around them. Well, obviously, God could not allow that to happen, so God would raise up some foreign entity, some foreign nation, to oppress the Israelites. 
And so some nation, they would oppress the Israelites, and the Israelites would cry to God, oh, save us, save us, save us. And God would send a judge, hence the name of that particular Old Testament manuscript. Judges like Samson and Deborah and, 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 and also Gideon. And so they'd cry to God, and God would send them a judge. The judge would lead them in victory over the oppressing uh, foreign, foreign nation, and then they'd go right back to their old ways again. And this repeated itself over and over again. It was a very dark time. So we were looking now at what happened towards the end of this time and the beginning of the time we call the time of the prophets, the first prophet that God sent to them. The kind of a judge, but, but even a little bit more spiritual authority and power was Samuel. And so we left off the story of the Raiders of the Last Ark, Ark when they lost the Ark. Israel had originally gone to battle with the latest of these foreign powers that God had raised up to oppress them, the Philistines. They went out to battle with them, and in that day of battle, they lost 4,000 soldiers. Now, they didn't go back and ask God what happened, or they didn't seek out the, the prophet Samuel for direction. What they did is they, someone came up with a great idea. I know what we'll do. We'll go to Shiloh, and we'll get the Ark of the Covenant. Now, remember, the Ark of the Covenant was the dwelling place of God among the nation of Israel. And so they said, we'll go get the Ark of the Covenant. We'll take the Ark of the Covenant out the battle, and the Ark of the Covenant will give us victory. God will have to give us victory because we've got the Ark there. And so they, they get the Ark, and they're all excited, and they go out to battle. And what happens? Well, it shows us in 1 Samuel 4.10. It says, so the Philistines fought, and the Israelites were defeated, and every man fled to his tent. The slaughter was very great. Israel lost 35. Thousand foot soldiers in that one battle. And the ark of the Lord was captured. They brought it out thinking it was some kind of wonder, superpower weapon, kind of like we saw in Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, don't open the ark. But as it turned out, they got whipped in battle. They lost 30,000 soldiers and they lost the ark of God. They lost it because they were looking at a, a ritual and a relic rather than considering their relationship, their rebellion against God. Now, obviously, after this battle, and obviously after Israel lost the ark, there were diametrically opposing responses on either side. Israel was devastated. When, when Eli, the chief priest, found out the ark had been captured, remember, he, he leaned back and he fell back in his chair and broke his neck and died. His two sons were killed in battle, and when, when one of his daughters-in-law, who was, who was pregnant with, with a child, heard about the loss of the ark, she went into early labor, and although she delivered a healthy son, she died in, in, in childbirth. All Israel, they were absolutely mortified. They were defeated in battle, and worse, they had lost the ark of God. Now, you've got to think on the other side of the battlefield, there was jubilation, we conquered him. We beat him. We didn't think we could, but we beat them badly. And we have the ark now. The ark is ours. So on both sides, there's a tremendous emotional response. Now, I'm so excited to share what happens next in Raiders of the Lost Ark Part 2 because I think it's going to be really enlightening and really encouraging to you today. Are you ready to go? Yes. So what happens next? Let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 5, verse 1. After the Philistines had captured the ark of God, they took it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. 
Then they carried it, the ark into Dagon's temple and set it beside Dagon. Now, Ashdod was one of their major cities. And it's where they had their main uh, shrine to their god, Dagon. They were a polytheistic nation. They had many gods, but the main god was this god, Dagon. So they take the ark back to Ashdod, which is about two, three miles east of the Mediterranean Sea, pretty far away from where the Israelites were. They tried to get it as far away from the Israelites as they, probably, as they could, and they put it in Dagon's temple. It says, when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, there was Dagon falling on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. They took Dagon and put him back in his place. But the following morning when they rose, there was Dagon falling on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. His head and hands had been broken off and were lying on the threshold. Only his body remained. That is why to this day neither the priest of Dagon nor any others who entered Dagon's temple at Ashdod step on the threshold. The Lord's hand was heavy upon the people of Ashdod in its vicinity. He brought devastation upon them and afflicted them with tumors. When the men of Ashdod saw what was happening, they said, The ark of the God of Israel must not stay with us because his hand is heavy upon us and upon Dagon our God. So they called together the leaders of the Philistine and asked, What shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? So someone says, all right, here's what we're going to do. We'll move the ark from Ashdod and the temple of Dagon to Gath, one of their next major cities in the network of the Philistine Empire. But after they had moved it, the Lord's hand was against that city, thrown into a great panic. He afflicted the people of the city, both young and old, with an outbreak of tumors. So they sent the ark to Ekron. Gath said, we don't want it. Let's send it to Ekron. Verse 10, as the ark of God was entering Ekron, the people of Ekron cried out. They brought the ark of the God of Israel around to kill us and our people. So they called together all the rulers of the Philistines and said, send the ark of the God of Israel away. Let it go back to its own place or will kill us and our people. For death had filled the city with panic. And it says, those who did not die were afflicted with tumors, and the outcry of the city went up to the heavens. Don't tell me God don't have a sense of humor. Huh? How amazing is that? They, they hear the Philistines going, we have the ark, we have the ark. So went to get rid of the ark. We don't want anything to do with the ark. Now, oh, there's so many lessons for us in this today, and I hope I can cover them all with you today. But, but here's the, the big one. Here's the big one. Get this. Shock of shocks. God can take care of himself. How about that, huh? Now, we're living in a day where there's a lot of attacks against God. But I'm here to tell you today, God can take care of himself. Now, let me tell you why I know that to be true. Because first of all, God is the Lord of all the earth. Now, whether or not we acknowledge him as that, the truth of the matter is he is the Lord of all the earth. Acts 17, 24 says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. God doesn't just come to the church on Sunday. God is in the world constantly. One of the attributes of his divine nature is his omnipresence. That means he's everywhere at one time. 
and everything is his. You know what that means? That means that he's not surprised by circumstances. He's everywhere. He knows what's going on. Do, do, do you realize that God wasn't caught off guard when the Philistines captured the ark? God didn't go, what happened? God knew they'd capture the ark. Get this, God allowed them to capture the ark. Because God was, again, trying to teach his people, his chosen people, that he was the God of heaven and the God of earth. He was re-impressing upon them who he was, and he was, in the meantime, teaching the Philistines a lesson about himself, too. See, he's not surprised by circumstances. Now, now, now own this. Listen to me now. Let's make it applicable. He's not surprised by the circumstances of your life, either. He, he's not taking back and going, oh, Kevin, I never saw that coming. You know, I mean, he knows. He's not surprised. Nothing catches him off guard. And in fact, as the Lord of all the earth, did you know he's already at work in your circumstances, whether you see it or not? He's not limited by geography. The Philistines felt confident now that they had Israel's God on their own turf. They had him in their own temple with their God. They thought, man, with Dagon... And with the God of Israel, what could possibly go wrong? We have got it all now. But no matter where the Philistines moved the Ark of the Covenant, God was still beating them up on their own turf. See, he's not limited by geography. There was no place that they could escape the presence of God Jehovah. Now, when they moved him from Ashdod, Dagon stayed in Ashdod. But God went ahead to Gath. And then God went ahead to Ekron. Because God is not limited by geography. You know what that means? It's safe for us to take God off our own turf, the church, out into the real world that we live why do we think, oh, I got to get to church on Sunday because things are so bad. I got to go to where God is. I got to go to church and, and, and when God's in the singing and God's in the preaching and God's in. Well, where do you think he is the other time? He's not limited by geography. You're going, I got to leave the church and go back to work. Guess what? He's at your workplace. I got to go back to that family that doesn't love God. Well, he's in the family that doesn't love God. I love the way the psalmist puts it in Psalm 139, 7 through 10. Where can I go from your spirit? He asks a rhetorical question in a series of rhetorical questions. He says, God, where can I go that you're not already there? He says, where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. In other words, the psalmist gets what we need to get is that there's no place that God isn't already there. So not only does God know your circumstances, but wherever your circumstances lead you and wherever you lead your circumstance, God is right there. 
And I mean in a very real, spiritually powerful way. See, now, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, one of the immediate benefits of trusting Jesus Christ as our Savior is that we are indwelt with the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. God doesn't live in a temple. God lives in us. God lives in you. You say, I got to go to church. You know what? You are the church. And when you go to work, you're the church walking in the door of wherever you work. When you go back to your family and have meet them at the restaurant today, you're the church walking into that restaurant. You are the church. The building's not the church. And what did the verse say? God does not dwell in temples built by hand. God dwells in you. He knows your circumstances. And wherever you go, you can bet he is right there with you. Not only that, but because he's Lord of all the earth, he's not threatened by competition. He's not threatened by that. Israel's going, oh, the ark, oh, the ark, oh, the ark. God wasn't going, oh, the ark, oh, the ark. They carried the ark into Dagon's temple and set it beside Dagon. Israel was horrified. God yawned didn't impact him. Anyone threatened by that? The Philistines thought by putting the ark next to their God that it demonstrated that their God had been victorious over the God of Israel. Now, don't you know that visually it appeared that way? Don't you know that next to this shrine to the God Dagon, and the statue of the god Dagon, which was a statue that, was, that appeared as half fish and half man. The bottom half was a fish. The top half was, was a human torso and arms and a human head. Don't you know that this was a huge statue in the temple of Dagon? And they brought in this little teeny Ark of the Covenant. And so here's Dagon. Here's the Ark. Dagon. Here's the Ark. There we go. Look at Dagon. Look at that little puny ark thing, man. That's all it is. See, God wasn't scared, though, that they put the ark in the temple of Dagon. God wasn't, oh, man, my ark is surrounded by all these pagans and all these priests, and look how big that statue is. God wasn't threatened by the competition. 1 Corinthians 8, 4 says, We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world, and that there is no God but one. You know, humankind hasn't stopped worshiping idols. Today we have the idol of science. And science in so many quarters is saying, oh, that religious stuff is a bunch of bunk. That's foolishness. How can you believe in that? Science has proven See, a lot of people have the idol of science and bow to the idol of science and give up following God and believing in Jesus Christ because science. Well, do you know the real truth of the matter is where the Bible speaks scientifically has never been proved to be an error. The Bible's not a science book, though. But where it does speak about science, it's never been proved to be wrong. Where it speaks of archaeology, it's never been proved wrong. It has constantly, and all over and over again, they'll say, science approved, and then later on they'll say, well, maybe not. Well, archaeologists have never found... Well, yes, they did now. See, there's no competition for God. Culture. Oh, we don't want God. Oh, they're squeezing God out of culture. They don't want God in culture. Oh, what are we going to do? God's not threatened by that. By politics. It's amazing how these politicians can't get along today. 
It's really discouraging. I, I mean, I, I don't even, I stopped looking at it. You know, you got Republicans fighting Democrats and Democrats fighting Republicans, Republicans fighting Republicans, and Democrats fighting Democrats, and Independents fighting them all, and they're all fighting and all that kind of thing. But you take a 9-11, you know what I, I remember? I remember all of them standing on the state capitol singing, God bless America, land that I, right? See, because I'm here to tell you today, God can take care of himself. Now, wait a minute, I'm not done. We also learn that God is not served by human hands. We, 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 oh, we can get the big head that, Oh, God, you need us so much. Oh, God, how could you ever exist without us? See? Now, Acts 17.25 says this. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. What does this story tell us? That he does not need us to watch over him. And don't you know that when they took the ark of God into the temple of Dagon, the Israelites, especially the priesthood, are going, oh, who's going to dust it? Who's going to light the candles? Who's going to offer the, who's going to, oh, no, it's, it's, everything's terrible. With, oh, we've got to watch over God. Who's going to watch over to God? It's our job to watch over God. Now, God gave them all those rituals to impress upon them the fact that he's God and they're not. But he didn't need them. Did God need us to sing praise to him today? He has the angels singing before him. He has a chorus in, in heaven singing constantly. And I promise you, they sound better than we do. We praise God because we need it, not him. He need me to stand up here and preach today and tell you about him. He knows who he is. He knows what he's done. I'm still trying to figure it all out after 40 years. But he knows. See, he doesn't need us to watch over him. In fact, you know what his passion is? Same verse tells us. Because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. He doesn't need us to watch over us because 24-7, he's, he, he's watching over us. He doesn't need us to watch over him. He watches over us. That's his job. And he delights in it. He doesn't need us to protect him. There was Dagon the next morning after they took him in that temple. And the Israelites, oh, they took him into the temple of Dagon. Oh, we'll never see the ark again. Oh, next morning, that statue was fallen face forward before the ark. They would not have missed that. We might, oh, the statue fell over. No, no, no. The statue fell face first before the ark. The statue fell in a position of worship of God, Jehovah. I know how it happened sometime during the night. God went, that big statue went, Pow! and, they, want, and they, they saw, see, God didn't need Israel to send an elite commando squad in there at night to steal it back. God was okay. God didn't need protection. In fact, the next morning, Dagon was another, the one that needed protection because they went back in and, and they, they had to pick up Dagon and put him back on his pedestal next to that teeny little ark. He does not need us to defend him. Now, don't, don't get me wrong here. We know that 1 Peter 3.15 tells us, 
but in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. And tells us always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Now don't miss that final phrase. But do it with gentleness and respect. Yes, God calls us to learn as much as we possibly can about him and about his word so that when people go, what do you believe that nonsense for? You believe in the Bible? We can come back and say, well, yes, I do. But let me tell you why I believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. You you really believe that Jesus is the only way? Well, actually, I do. But let me tell you why I believe Jesus is the only way. See, these are things we teach you here at the bridge. These are resources you can readily get here at the bridge. You can go to the resource table and get the whole series. The Bible, God's word or man's myth. You, You can get the series, Is Jesus Really the Only Way? You can go online and download it on your iPod for free. See, we equip you. Basically, what we're talking about here is this anti-God culture that we live in. See this banner? The Bible taken literally is a horror. Away with all gods. How does that make you feel? How does it make you feel when you see these news reports and when you see these film clips and people attacking God and people cursing God and all that kind of thing? Boy, boy, man, you can't talk about my God that way. I'll get you. God doesn't need us to defend him that way. God can take care of himself. What God needs us to do is to study his word and to know who he is so that with gentleness and respect, we can share that with other people. Voltaire was a 17th century philosopher. He was atheist, at best maybe an agnostic But he said stuff like, every sensible man, every honorable man must hold the Christian sect in horror. Voltaire during his life said, you know what? In 50 years, Christianity is going to be a thing of the past. People won't even be talking about it anymore. No one's even going to remember it anymore. Well, 50 years later, Voltaire was dead. And Christianity was still flourishing. Not only that, but get this. I love God. Not only did he die, but the house that he lived in became the headquarters for the Geneva Bible Society. And out of his house, Bibles were printed by the hundreds and distributed around the world, glorifying the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Savior. See, God doesn't need us to defend him. God can take care of himself. Finally, God will judge the world with justice. God judged the Philistine with justice. He corrected their thinking about who the God of Israel was. He corrected their thinking about the power that their God Dagon really had. He will judge all the false idols of the world one day idols of science, the idols of culture, the idols of political this and political that, the idols of fame, the idols of gold. See, I guess they missed the first commandment, Exodus 23, when God said, you will have no other gods before me. 
Boy, when they put that ark into the temple of Dagon, they had already violated that commandment. And already it was going to turn out ugly. See, Dagon was falling on his face the next day before God in a, in a posture of worship. But then they put him back in his place, and the next day, not only is he fallen before the Ark of the Covenant again, but now his head is broken off and his hands are broken off. See, back in that day, they would cut off the head and the hands as a symbol of their military victory. So now, not only was Dagon prostrate before God again, but his head was cut off and his hands was cut off. And that's the reason that after that, even the priest of the temple of Dagon, they would never step on that threshold again because of the power and the presence of God, Jehovah. They would jump over that threshold for as long as that temple existed. See, 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 13 says, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Christ Jesus. There's a lot of idols out there. People are living their life for a lot of different things. But listen, the only one that will last is Jesus. It goes on to say in verse 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, if any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stone, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. In other words, the day when Jesus brings justice and brings judgment. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. Jesus himself said it, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. One day, God will judge all these false idols. He'll judge those who stand against him. What happened to the Philistines? They were devastated by God. Ashdod in the whole vicinity, later Gath, by the time it reached Ekron, they wanted nothing to do with, with the Ark of the Covenant. They said, send it back to God's people. Get rid of that thing. It's going to kill us all. Hebrews 10.31 says, it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. He will judge those who stand against him. You know some of those folks. But let me ask you right now. When you think of that reality, how does it make you feel? Some of these people are nasty, obnoxious. Hurtful, abusive. And yet, you know, I, I'm going to confess with you that sometimes I'll just grit my teeth and say, your bacon's going to burn someday, buddy. I'll bet you felt that way too. And let me tell you, every time we feel that way, we need to fall on our knees and ask God's forgiveness. God has not placed us here to be judges of anybody else. God has placed us here to be the ambassadors to everyone we can possibly reach. Along the way, they're not going to like it. Along the way, they're going to abuse us. Along the way, they're going to ridicule us. And in our human nature, there are going to be times when we just think, you're going to burn in hell, buddy. But Philippians says, Chapter 2 says, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, 
who being equal with God, did not think that something to be grasped. Jesus is our role model for how we should respond to those who abuse us and ridicule us and assault us. Jesus, hanging on the cross, stripped of his dignity, beaten, ridiculed, shamed, pushing on those legs to get yet another breath of air before he, he in pain, collapsed again. His first words were what? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And see, that's our response to a world who attacks us. Our response is, Father, forgive them. They don't understand what they're saying. They don't understand what they're doing. Oh, listen, we're a lighthouse, folks. And it's hard work sometimes, and it's thankless work sometimes, and it's painful work sometimes, but that's what we're called for. Yes, God will judge those who stand against him, but let's pray every day that we can reach as many of them as we possibly can so they won't have to experience that judgment. That's why we're the bridge. We're God's bridge to all people to span across the gap of where they are right now to where God created them to be. Church, we need to be the bridge. Or our coworkers and our family members, as Hebrews chapter 10 said, are going to stand in dread and fear and eternal condemnation before the living God. But let's, let's close with this truth. All will eventually acknowledge Christ as Lord. Amen. See, even though the Philistines thought they had a big victory and they thought their God, Dagon, had triumphed over Israel's God, in the end, their outcry from the whole city went up, not to Dagon in his temple, but it went up to the heavens. They started crying out, God, whoever you really are, God of Israel, save us. And that's exactly what will happen someday to all of humanity. Philippians 2, 9 through 11, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Oh, we sing about it now, but one day everybody's going to be singing that song with us. One day every knee will bow. One day every tongue will confess that Jesus is exactly who he said he was, that he's exactly who God declared him to be. I'm here to tell you today, God can take care of himself. Say it with me. God can take care of himself. Say it again. You know what that means? Since God can take care of himself, God can take care of you too. And God will take care of you. God has a passion to take care of you. The degree he can do that depends on the degree that we serve him with humility and truth and honor and reverence. We're going to talk about that next time. Because it's part three to the story. Let's bow our heads. I hope you're encouraged today by the lessons that we learned from part two. God can take care of himself. 
He's Lord of all the earth. He's in charge. Nothing's getting by him. No one's duping him. No one's getting one up on him. God allows whatever happens for whatever reasons. And his reasons are always pure. His reasons are always motivated by love. And listen, no matter what your circumstances are today, God knows them. And God loves you. And God will reach out to you if you reach out to him. If you're here today and you don't know where you're going to spend eternity, God has already taken care of that challenge also in sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross. Romans 3.16, or John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will never perish but have eternal life. Paul declares to us in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised from the dead, you'll be saved. Jesus himself said it again, John 14, 6, for I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you'll put your faith in Jesus Christ, God will forgive you your sins and Jesus will pay your sin debt for you and promise you eternal life. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of it. Thank you, God, that we are not defeated. We are the victors because you're the victor and we're your kids. And so when you stand glorious in victory one day over all of creation, we will be there with you. And we will continue to sing, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Thank you, God, for who you are. And thank you that our faith is not a blind faith, but our faith has been proven over and over again to be a faith in your omnipotence, your omniscience, and your omnipresence. God, for any man or woman here today who has not trusted Christ as their Savior, don't let them leave here in that condition. Let them today reach to you and receive eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.